0: Well, welcome again. My name is Nelson. I'm Lee Pastor. And we had a wonderful Meals and Music event on Monday night. It was our first go at that. It was an inviting event. We really want to be a church that offers ourselves out to our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. And we want, really, this area out here to be the front porch to people in Crown Grant and Steveston and your friends and neighbors as well. And so um, the count I heard was 75, 80 people were out here on Monday night, and we had a bouncy house, and we had uh, food trucks, and we had live music, and it was a really, really great inviting event. So if you missed it, we'll be doing it again on July 24th, Monday, July 24th. So put that on your calendar and make plans to be here and invite someone else to join you. Now, one thing that we believe at Community West is that Christians are called to be different. Uh, From the very beginning, God has been creating his special possession, his treasured people. We are meant to be a people unto himself. We're meant to reflect his character. And so we believe that the church is a counterculture. Some of us call ourselves followers of Jesus. And Jesus didn't mimic culture. He really came to transform culture. And we're meant to be a part of that. So sometimes we think, oh, well, the grace of God permits us to do anything we want to mimic the world, right? No, actually, the grace of God frees us to live a new life. And the question is, how will we do that? We've been in this series on spiritual disciplines. We're calling it spiritual training. And the idea is that just like with physical training, we need to have a regimen. We need to apply ourselves. With spiritual training, we also need a regimen. And the ancients called it a rule of life. And these disciplines weren't ways that we earn our way to God We are saved by grace through faith, full stop. So we don't earn our way to God, but we do make efforts to grow in Christ's likeness. And so what we've been saying in this series is the point of the series is not to try hard to gain God's favor. Instead, what we're doing is training well to grow in the likeness of Christ. So this is a way, uh, the way that, Christ has given us, the scripture has given us, God has given us really to grow, to be his distinct people. Now, week after week, I kind of come to you and I say, um, I feel almost a little sheepish because we will present these disciplines. Uh, We've been looking at these other disciplines. So, you know, we've had simplicity and solitude and fasting and the Sabbath command. We've also had scripture, meditation, and confession. And some of them uh, have been so contrarian in a way that some of us are going, I don't know really if I want to cease work for one day a week or I want to withdraw food for a period of time in in order to be more accessible to God. These are things that just cut against the grain. They do not feel natural to us. And today I have, another, I have another discipline that's just like that. It's one that we're going to say, ee, I'm not really sure that this is something that will be good for me. But let me just uh, encourage you. Uh, we, gather, we gather in our confidence in this, that the Lord Jesus uh, died for us. In love, the Father sent the Son. And in love, the Son gave his life for us. He stood in our place. He paid our penalty for sin. We come in the confidence of the love of God for us through the gift of His Son who also resurrected to new and eternal life. Through faith we are joined to Him and we have all of the benefits that God has to give. And so we approach these disciplines uh, in our conviction uh, that God wants what is good for us even if it feels like Uh, It is cutting against the grain. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, we're like normal humans. No, actually, Jesus is the only normal human. And the contrarian life that he's offering us is he's inviting us back into normalcy. And so these disciplines feel like they're doing something in us that are not normal. Well, in fact, they're altogether normal to begin to share the heart and the likeness of Christ. So that's what we're about. So again, our discipline uh, this morning is contrarian. Today's practice is the discipline of submission. Now, I've never preached on this discipline before, and I uh, don't feel like I have the well dug as deeply with this one as I do with some of the others, and so I'll be drawing you along with me as I am uh, a pilgrim along the journey with you. But it seemed that the discipline of submission was important because I think we have... So many of us have had poor experiences with authority. And we've not experienced loving authority. We've experienced harsh authority. And the whole idea of submitting seems contrary to what will make for a flourishing life. But in fact, we're going to learn today that it's just the opposite. So what is submission? Submission is a practice where we're released from the burden of having to have our own way. So most of us uh, are naturally committed to our own way. If there's anything uh, that we think is a core commitment, it would be that we see things clearly, uh, that if everybody else would just see things the way we do, then the world would be at a better place. And so we're committed to our own way. And some of that is, if I can say this gently, uh, we think we're the center of the universe. We think we see things clearly because we're at the center. And in fact, what's happening is God is trying to create a world where He is at the center. And so we have this illusion of being in control. And we have this almost moral imperative that we must be in control or our world and our life will not go as it's meant to go. So we have this uh, discipline of submission. And we have it because uh, at the same time, it's really hard to uh, live in a life where we insist on having our own way. Richard Foster writes... The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure for us when we have to manage uh, how everybody else sees us, where we have to persuade and control and control how everybody else sees us to get people to do our own way. So I hope you'll open your, your hearts today to this little known but widely practiced through the centuries, spiritual practice of submission. And what we'll do is, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It's in your worship gods, or you can turn in your Bibles. And let me pray. Will you pray with me? Father, sometimes I think we scarcely know uh, what is good for us. And so we resist what we need and we do what we ought not to do. It's like the Apostle Paul who toward the end of his life in Christian maturity said, I do not do what I wish I did and I do what I wish I didn't do. And so there's this war and we know your spirit has established a beachhead. And you're training us uh, in the likeness of Christ and enabling and urging us. But we know we need, uh, we need help. We need the transforming grace of the Savior. And we need uh, the support of the community in which we now sit this morning. So we pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to come and lead us, and lead us uh, into the freedom of life with you. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. It is given to you in love. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, the context of the book of Philippians is there's conflict in the church in Philippi. Paul is writing from prison, and he has proclaimed the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. But there are others in the church who stand for the same message, but they envy Paul's leadership success. And so they are working to undermine Paul, and they are operating in envy and rivalry. So at the end of chapter 1, verse 27, Paul exerts the church, stand fast in one spirit. Don't let these disgruntled leaders pull you into their animosity and divide you. So he urges the church toward unity. And so this is what he says, beginning in, verse, in chapter 2. And I want to just ask you to leave it open on your lap and look with me again at what we just read. So Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. See, Paul understood salvation as personal union with the risen, ascended Christ. Christianity is not just believing in Jesus, it's being united to him. The living Lord. So he says, if any comfort from his love... Now here he's really pointing, I think, to the atonement. Jesus' love was expressed for you by voluntarily dying on the cross, standing in your place for sin, and raising the resurrection so that you also might have new and everlasting life. If any common sharing in the Spirit, Paul wants us to remember that Christ's Spirit lives in us. If any tenderness and compassion... This is his heart toward the church, for the church. Verse 2, he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So Paul is urging unity in the church, and he's giving this foundation of union with Christ. And how will this unity be achieved? Well, surely we think uh, it'll, his, Paul's world was just like our world. You know, every, it was a dog-eat-dog dog world, and everybody had to fend for themselves, and everybody was climbing over everybody else to get to the top. And a lot of times we just feel alone in the world, and if we feel that we don't control things, if we don't control outcomes, then how will things go well for us? But Paul says, no. Uh, and so here comes the counterculture, and it's enough to make your head spin. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That is, do nothing motivated by personal uh, advancement. And again, we say, what? Everybody is working. They're self-promoting. Everybody is working toward his or her self-advancement. If we don't do it, who will? He says, no, you're not the center of the universe. Don't set your life on feeding your own pride and ego. Rather, Paul writes, and here's the showstopper, in humility, value others above yourselves. Humility. See, true humility is the freedom to prefer another person, to prefer the other person. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So this is really uh, kind of the showstopper. And it's so counterculture, it's hard for us to take in because we have to sort of compare the lives that we live and the world that we live in and ask ourselves, what would it be like to value others above ourselves and how would that happen? Well, what he's doing, and it's texts like this that have led Christians in every age to identify this spiritual discipline of submission. Richard Foster writes... Submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. In submission, we are learning to hold things lightly. We are also learning to diligently watch over the spirit in which we hold others, honoring them, preferring them, loving them. So do you see this? The whole idea of submission, a lot of the fruit of submission is it's changing our hearts in terms of how we see others. Recall Jesus' astonishing statement. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, our natural inclination is to compete with people. It's to vie with other people. There are winners and losers in the world, and we want to be one of the winners. And that's why we have to sort of bend everybody to our own way. But Jesus is calling us to the way, really, of the cross. See, self-denial is the foundation for submission. We're more comfortable with words like self-actualization or self-fulfillment. And we sort of flinch at the thought of self-denial. But look at Jesus' own life, Paul writes to the Philippians. In verse 7 he says, Jesus made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, and was made in human likeness. So Jesus submitted to the incarnation. He emptied himself of heaven's glory. Verse 8, and he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. And so he also submitted himself to the atonement. And you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his crucifixion, Jesus said, he prayed to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. So what he's doing is he's laying a foundation for submission. In the church. So Jesus died across death. The symbol of submission is the cross. But Jesus also lived across life. He lived across life when he submitted to the needs of every human person he encountered. He lived across life when he took a towel and a basin and washed his disciples' feet. So what's happening here is Jesus is modeling the contrarian way of submission. See, we think the way up is up. We're all committed to up and to the right. But Jesus is modeling for us the way up is down. Jesus took the steep descent into servanthood and humility. And so it's just this confounding world. So, what is the practice of submission for today? Uh, I'm going to give you two words to begin to think about. And Disciplines have start and stop times, and so they always have a context. The context is a meeting or a conversation or an interaction with another person or a group of people. But a few weeks ago, I was in a meeting, a church meeting, and I purposed in my heart prior to going into that meeting, um, honestly, I hadn't uh, entirely appreciated the way... um, I had been uh, more verbal than I wished I had been related to a topic earlier. And in this next meeting, I purposed uh, to yield. I purposed in my heart going in, I wanna yield uh, to the thoughts and to the understanding and to the perceptions of other in the, others in the group. And it was a beautiful experience of yielding, and it was a beautiful experience of community. And it was a beautiful experience, most of all, of trusting in God's providence and wisdom. See, here's the thing. All of the disciplines, they're always about God. We've talked about solitude. It's about listening to the Father. We've talked about simplicity. It's about learning to trust how much is enough. We talked about fasting. It's about hungering for God himself. We talked about the Sabbath command. It's about trusting in God's activity and not our own. And when it comes to this discipline of submission, it's about trusting in God's providence and His wisdom and not our own. And so the reason that we feel like we have to control every situation is we feel like we're all alone. And yet Paul is reminding us through the incarnation that God is with us and through the atonement that God is for us. And so we can yield in a situation in our daily lives Trusting that we're not orphans, we're not all alone. But we're trusting in the superior wisdom and providence and care of God. For that situation, not just our own lives. So the Apostle Peter, uh, in the, he was instructing on submission. And he writes this. He says, for to this, meaning submission, you have been called... So he's talking about this example of Jesus who submitted. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here's the important part. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, this is at the heart of it. We think we have to bend a situation in our direction because we don't. We believe we're all alone. And what we do when we yield to some others in the community is we're yielding to God. We're yielding to His superior wisdom. We're yielding to His providence and His care. We're yielding to His sovereignty and to His goodness. We're trusting that He does have the whole world in His hands, that He does have His hand on the wheel. He's not absent. And so it's a beautiful submission that we offer. And it's in the model and the likeness of Christ. And here's the irony. The irony is uh, the beautiful things that God himself does through these acts of submission. You know, uh, the gospel that we proclaim is this that on the road to the cross, Jesus submitted to the religious leader Caiaphas. He submitted to Pontius Pilate. At any point, he could have called down a legion of angels, an army from heaven, to stop the march to the cross. But there was this beautiful, beautiful act of submission uh, to a world in need, to the human community, and also to the Father. And then this is what the rest of today's reading says. It says, therefore, as a result, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the irony. This is the counterintuitive part. This is why... The way up is down. The way up is not up. The way up is down. So why do we practice the discipline of submission? We do yield to other people, but ultimately we're yielding to God and his justice. So uh, just like I did in uh, my own meeting, we can predetermine in certain situations the practice of yielding to others. See, that's just the word that makes sense to me. Uh, We can yield. Uh, Yielding is a matter of the will. And so we can purpose in a conversation or a context to yield. Well, a second and earlier practice or word that I think is helpful in the practice of submission is listening. It's a way to value someone else above yourself. See, how do we normally listen? Listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, there's a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It is an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. Mary Rose O'Reilly writes, we pay attention only long enough to develop a counter-argument. People often listen with an agenda to sell or petition or seduce Seldom is there a deep, open-hearted, unjudging reception of the other. By contrast, if someone truly listens to me, my spirit begins to expand. So here's a way that we practice the discipline of submission. It's simply by listening. So here are ways that you might engage this practice. Uh, When you're in a conversation with somebody else, ask three questions in a row of clarity curiosity, and pursuit of the other person's heart before you make any statements. Okay? Three questions in a row. That's the discipline. Additionally, you might search the other person's face asking, how does this person feel? Also, you might pray for the person and ask God to show you the person's heart. Another way to practice the discipline of listening is if you tend to speak... Too often and make your own statements, put your hand over your mouth like this. And that will just be a way that will help you restrain while the other person speaks. It was said of Abbot Agatho that for three years he carried a stone in his mouth until he learned to be silent. Maybe some of us need to carry just a little stone in our pockets that would be a sign that we want to listen to those that God brings into our lives. So just uh, in conclusion, uh, we're in spiritual training, friends. We're in spiritual training, and I say to you every week, uh, these are things that we have to experiment with. You know, spiritual disciplines are self-authenticating. You don't know that they will lead you into life and lead you into communion with God until you try them and experience the fruit of the discipline. Now some of you this week, it was really lovely, a a number of you actually told me that you had tried fasting this week, and I asked about your prayer during that time, and a few of you said, yeah, it was really, really meaningful. I hadn't tried fasting, uh, but I tried it, and I've been inviting you to do fasting with me on Wednesdays. Now others of you have said to me that you've tried the Sabbath command uh, where for 24 hours we take our hands off our work and the things that we worry about in order to trust God's activity and not our own. And then some of you, I know, are practicing solitude. We need time with people, but we need time away from people, and we need time where we can purpose to listen to God. And some of you have said that you're practicing simplicity. We repent. We have to repent for a time or in a space like our closet, of our clutter and our complexity, in order to be free to learn how much is enough. So, friends, these these, these disciplines are you know given to us for our good. Dallas Willard uh, has said that. Uh, Our greatest need, the pain, most of the pain we experience comes from our choices and our actions formed by a world away from God. The disciplines help us to be formed from the inside out from a world where God is at the center, where we know that he is with us and that he is for us and he has given his life for us. So let's pray. Father, that you know that we are an embodied people, and you have given us an embodied spirituality that involves movement and our use of words and the things that we take into our bodies, and it embodies uh, rituals and liturgies of our days and our weeks, And we need this, and we need the support of others as we do these things together. And we pray that your spirit would uh, lead us and give us uh, fruitful little tastes, even as we just maybe practice something incrementally, fruitful little tastes that lead us uh, to you and that help us experience the joy of trusting you and not ourselves. Master, uh, we trust you as Savior, and we also trust you as Lord, and we offer our lives and our church into your keeping. For Christ's sake, amen.